Welcome to the Ag Future Podcast, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the future of farming, food, and nutrition. I'm talking with Jorge Cordova, production manager for shrimp farms at Naturiza in Ecuador. Jorge, tell me how much does the world love shrimp? <laughs> shrimp. I, I can tell you a little bit about the world of shrimp in Ecuador to begin with. Okay. This is an industry which is it's been around for almost 50 years now. It all began back in 68, around 68, 69, when they when they first built like the first huge pond, which was uh, naturally filled with water, and then small, tiny animals would go in, they would grow, and they noticed, these uh, this, this first uh, entrepreneurs noticed that they could harvest shrimp out of that. Then the 70s came, and the first efforts to put some serious money into appear. The 80s was like the boom of the industry down there. A lot of people was going into the business. The 90s were like the disease decade, a lot of disease and problems. And um, after 1999, when we got hit by a very strong disease named White Spot, which is a virus, basically, uh, the whole industry uh, started to mature. And it's been 18 years now since uh, we got hit by uh, White Spot and the production in Ecuador is being increasing. Now that's Ecuador. But the, the world of shrimp is, uh, you know, it's growing. There's a lot of people growing shrimp all over the world these days. Asia is one of the big guys. India is growing. And even in the U.S., you got uh, people growing shrimp in small uh, facilities, indoor facilities. So it's, it's pretty exciting. Shrimp is uh, one of the commodities that's been uh, representing aquaculture all over the place. And uh, it's probably one of the species that's going to be serving the purposes of feeding the world in the years to come. So it, it, it's exciting. It's, uh, it's every day in shrimp farming. It's a new learning experience. You never know everything. So it's... It's a lot to talk about mm-hmm. shrimp world. <laughs> well, are there parts of the world where shrimp farming is more accessible? The infrastructure is available for people to get into it you know, in the beginning? Uh, yes, yes, especially today. For example, in Ecuador, there's a, a growing number of uh, uh, investors who are going into uh, low salinity shrimp culture. This activity doesn't have a lot of barriers to, you know, entry barriers. It's not that hard money-wise to get into it. So yes, there's definitely different uh, uh, ways to grow shrimp. And, and that means you can, you can put big money in, but you can also be a, 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 a small investor and, and put some of your savings into it. So yeah, there's quite a few ways to get into it. Um, you can be a big investor or a small one. And you can, it's, it's only a matter of being willing to take the risk <laughs> to farm shrimp. It's not an easy task, but a lot of fun, yes. Well, what kind of environment is needed to farm shrimp? Well, these days you can grow shrimp and it, it'll be in, in, in what they call, they call, they call Eurohaline environment, which is uh, basically systems, aquatic systems, which can change salinity from low to high. But these days they're growing shrimp in low salinity, almost fresh water conditions, uh, mid-salinity, uh, and even ocean salinity, and even more than that. So there's quite a big range of uh, conditions that you can use to grow shrimp. Like most areas of aquaculture, disease management is always an issue. You mentioned um, <laughs> white spot syndrome. If 
you do the right things in terms of providing the animals with the right conditions, if you do the right things in terms of nutrition, health, environmental health, and you do uh, quite a few things like the ones that we are learning to do these days, then you can go ahead and skip disease. You can you can grow shrimp uh, without uh, going into the diseases. You, there's there's ways around it. Well, in regards to prevention, how much does the overall health of the shrimp from nutritional diet provide its own sort of natural defenses against disease? That's a basic uh, point. For example, these days we're learning and we're trying to work through nutrition and we're trying to change the microbiome, the, the whole uh, microbes structure that these animals get in their guts and in their environment. And by doing that, we've been able to to help these animals to to to, to be healthier at the pond condition. So nutrition is a key factor, as a matter of fact, and, and it's got to do with, uh, with uh, dealing with the microbes and the bacterial and all these uh, microbial ecosystems these animals have in the guts and in the surrounding environment. So yeah, nutrition and health, they go like hand in hand. Are, are probiotics being used in shrimp? And- of course. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be dealing with this topic this week. I'm going to be presenting some of the working hypotheses we use in our daily farm operation in which we try to combine uh, prebiotics and probiotics in search of some type of synergistic effect. And they call it all over the place uh, symbiotics. Uh, we believe that symbiotics is, is a key future element for the development and increase in, in, in shrimp, in, in, in healthy shrimp production. Well, what is the industry using as feed mostly now from your experience? Well, uh, there's a lot of research that's been done in, in, in shrimp nutrition for the last 40 years at least. So now what they're doing is they're, they're manufacturing pellet feed. Uh, a pellet is a, a piece of feed, sort of speaking, where they have put all the science and all the technology and all the development that has been achieved after many years of research in terms of what kind of protein they need, what percentage of protein they need, what kind of energy these animals need. There's a lot of science in in the feed. So it's basically a pellet what we're using to feed the animals. How often do shrimp need to be fed? (laughs) That's that's another good one. You know, we've learned in the last five years, we've learned so much about it. Just to give you an idea, six or seven years ago, we were feeding a pond. Imagine a pond situation. It's basically a huge lake, a pond. You got your animals. So we were feeding these animals once, twice a day, maybe three times a day. We were uh, throwing uh, pellets out of a boat, you know, feed. We were feeding them. And we were very happy doing this. I would say around 2013, this company in Australia came with a, a, a brand new uh, device, which is basically a software that is going to let you listen to shrimp feeding in the pond. It happens that the mouthpieces of these animals make a noise, which can be detected. Hmm. And imagine one animal, 10 animals, a million animals feeding. So you get a lot of noise. So these people are able to capture the noise. And by the noise intensity, they can tell how many animals, not how many animals, but how much to feed. And this device is able to feed the animals 200 times a day, 150 times, small amounts, and they love it. You get, you know, improved efficiencies in terms of feed conversion rate and growth and survival by feeding the animals whenever they want to be fed. Before, we would feed them like early in the morning. 
And now we found out that they don't want to eat early in the morning. They are night feeders. So by using technology, now we can understand better how to feed these animals. So answering your question, how many times we have to feed the animals? As many as they want. (laughs) (laughs) How accessible is that technology? It's it's out there. I mean, you can go and pay for it, and it pays by itself. Um, As a matter of fact, when when we first used this technology, we were like, we don't know if this is going to work or not. I mean, we were supposed to feed these animals, which were spread out in a huge pond. We were going to throw the feed in just a small area of the pond. Would they come, get the feed, uh, leave from the feeding area without fighting each other for feed? Uh, But we learned that these animals are able to come and get their feed. This technology is quite available. And when you you look at the numbers after you harvest and, and all the gains that you get in terms of efficiency, feed conversion, survival, and so on, uh, it pays by itself. So it's, it's out there and anyone can, can use it. Hmm. Back to regulating healthy environments. Um, a, a company in 2016 was awarded grant funding for research using genome editing technology, yes. cr- CRISPR-Cas, um, yeah. a, to target the genome of the host organism. The study argued that success would allow for a more rapid response to viral outbreaks, um, a more rapid introduction of wild shrimp that can be certified virus-free, and provide a, a needed tool for the industry to improve biosecurity. What do you think about genome editing as a method of control? You got it right there. Yeah. But we're just beginning. Mm. Just beginning. There's a lot. The learning curve of a, a genome studies is just beginning. There's probably few groups in the world putting money into this is going to grow in the future. But definitely, that's, uh, that's the way we want to go. This is, this is going to happen in the years to come. It's just beginning. Well, how economically feasible would it be to apply this kind of technology in, in research and development? I, again, I, I believe strongly that this kind of technology would pay by itself. Uh, it would demand some initial economical effort money's got to be put in place for the development of all this genome research. But over time, I'm pretty sure this will uh, bring back benefits to initial investors. And this is just beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, as it does develop, let's say that, you know, you can create disease-resistant shrimp. You can, you can for example, uh, select animals by using some sort of uh, genomic trait that are resistant to a particular environment, condition, disease. So now we got a light, a bulb, a light that is telling us, this is the animal you want to reproduce before we didn't have it. So that's kind of a, an empirical way to explain what's going to happen. So yeah, there's going to be a, a, a lot of economic implications in the future by using this new technology. As it develops, do you, do you think that it would require a new label for consumers? No, I don't think so, because there's no gene transfer from one species to the next. This is just a way to select animals which are more fit to a particular environment. Uh, animals that may grow faster, uh, that may survive better under the tough uh, environmental or pond conditions. So I don't think so. It's uh, No, I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think we should tell the, the consumer this is a different product, there's a new... No, it's the same shrimp. We're only taking the best, the more uh, ready to the environment. I see. Are viruses like white spot too strong for more natural approaches towards prevention? I mean, what are some best management practices that see, you've seen work? <laughs> this is funny. When we got hit by white spot back in 1999, and I'm talking about Ecuador, the academia and, and, and a lot of researchers were saying, well, guys, 
you are not going to be able to make it back. Because the way to go is what they call SPF, specific pathogen-free animals. Okay, Then you have to select those animals that are completely clean of virus, those, are, those animals that are very healthy, and those are the ones that you, you, you want to use. But the way that infrastructure and the way the industry is built in Ecuador doesn't let you do that. I mean, we're talking about huge ponds, uh, outdoor ponds, open sky ponds. Uh, there's no way we can keep a lot of biosecurity in this kind of ponds. And you need biosecurity to grow uh, SPF animals. So the only chance that we had at that time was taking the, the guys, the shrimp that were surviving the, the environment, bringing them back to reproduction and bringing the kids back to the pond. So we did that time and again, five or six years down the road after 1999, we were having animals that were surviving we, we saw an improved survival. Now, there's a lot of hypotheses surrounding or, or trying to explain how that happened. Quite a few researchers have their own ideas. Uh, I don't have a clear picture of exactly what happened. Either the animals gain resistance or the virus lose the pathogenicity. It can be any one of those. Uh, the fact of the matter is that these animals we have in Echo now are surviving better than before and growing better than before. I'm going to be showing in, 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 the, in the conference uh, on Tuesday some of the statistical production data from Echo, and you, you're going to be able to see how production has been increases year after year. So when talking about shrimps, it's kind of hard to tell, but probably the kind of animals you use for your system should depend on the type of system you're using. Probably that's the best way to put it. How curious are consumers about shrimp farming and how will their interests drive the industry in the future in feeding and, and maintaining pond health? I think they're not that much curious. I would love them to be a lot more curious so they can somehow differentiate and tell where the shrimp they're, they're consuming comes from. Ecuador is, uh, the industry in Ecuador is, is having a, a, an initiative which uh, began this year, I believe, to let the world know that we are growing shrimp under sustainable conditions, using symbiotics, using all kinds of uh, natural products to grow our shrimp in the most natural way. Uh, just to expand on that a bit, where do you see environmental controls headed in order to meet future consumer demands? Symbiotics. The, the thing we were talking to begin with, prebiotics, probiotics. There's a lot of learning to be done in this area. Trying to use probiotics and prebiotics to create this uh, synergic effect that would benefit the animals in terms of health, uh, immunological status, capacity to assimilate the feed. If you have a healthy animal, whatever feed you're giving to them, they're going to uh, uh, assimilate it in a much improved way. Any disease animal is not going to use, no matter what, you know, you can, you, you can have the best feed quality. The animals are diseased, they're not going to make it. So I think that's one of the things in the future. The more environmental control or the more uh, naturally we can grow shrimp, the better off we're going to be. And it's possible. I mean, we can, we can produce a lot of shrimp and grow them uh, in, a, in a more sustainable way. This is possible. Jorge Cordova is the production manager for Shrimp Farms at Naturiza in Ecuador. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Ag Future Podcast, presented by Alltech. For show notes and more episodes, visit alltech.com forward slash agfuture. future.